your evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and I'm joined this week by my good friend, Matt Barr, the co-host of the 4th of Gold podcast. And Matt, even though we're already halfway home in the 2019 NFL season, the real season is really just beginning, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. There's a lot of unanswered questions, and in the playoff picture for both conferences is wide open. Uh, teams that came in with easy schedules in the first half are about to hit hard schedules. Teams that came in with hard schedules are about to ease up. So you, you know, there's still a lot of unanswered questions, and and the playoff picture is just still wide open, despite what some of the records may say. Oh, absolutely. Like a couple weeks ago, we were talking about it being a tale of two conferences, and last week too between like the NFC, which is like. Uh, uh, like a mixture of so many good teams and the AFC where it seemed like Patriots and everybody else, the Baltimore Ravens turned that notion on its head this past weekend, didn't they? They absolutely did. And, uh, you, you know, Bill Belichick didn't have an answer for Lamar Jackson. I think we all kind of knew he was going to come in and probe and see what, you know, see what Greg Roman, offensive coordinator of Baltimore, was going was gonna to bring with Lamar Jackson. You know, Greg Roman does have that experience with that kind of quarterback. He did it with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco. He knows that kind of offense that he can run. I think Bill Belichick was more probing to see what they were going to do, and he's going to use this game if they meet later on in the playoffs. Oh, absolutely, and it might be to the Patriots' benefit, but I think you have to start taking the Ravens very seriously now, and given the history that these two teams have, uh, whether the game's in uh, Foxborough or in Baltimore in the AFC Championship, that won't be a gimme for the Patriots going against the Ravens. <laughs> No, absolutely not. That's one of the teams that matches up well against the Patriots. I think they eliminate the short passing game, which is what Tom Brady's really relying on so far this year. We haven't seen a whole lot of deep stuff. You know, the question is, does he still have the arm strength to push the ball down the field like he has in the past? So he's been living in 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 his short to intermediate range. Baltimore, very rangy defense. So they do a good job of eliminating a lot of those quick dump offs and 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 they tackle very well, which eliminates the uh, run after the catch, which is what you know, for the last couple of years, Tom Brady's been relying on is getting the guys the ball in space and letting them do their work. That is a very, very good point, and uh, we will uh, get to that and many more points later. But first, uh, let's talk about our main takeaways from Week 9, and I'll go first here. Uh, 12 teams, 12, have three wins or less at the halfway point of the season. And last season, only one team, the Arizona Cardinals, finished the season with three wins or less. And that number is almost certain to rise this year it's going to be fascinating to see by how much and whether or not it forces certain teams uh, currently slated to pick at the top of the draft to try to tank harder for a better pick. Yeah, you know, the Dolphins really kind of kind of played themselves out because as it sits right now, they're drafting fourth, and everybody's thinking, you know, the Dolphins are coming in. They're going to tank the whole way. They want the first overall pick. You know, the Steelers, they have their first-round pick as well. The Steelers win. So the Dolphins really took a big slide back the board. And like you said, there's so many teams with so few wins that the, these these wins in, in week nine, week eight, can really sway who's going to be picking first overall come next, uh, come next May. Uh, yes, but the rest of that top ten order is a jumbled mess, and it's going to change a lot these next eight weeks. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, there's a lot. Of, like we said, um, you know, the schedules are starting to change. So, um, some of these teams have, have had a hard time are going to come into some winnable games and they're going to they're going to squeeze out of that top 10 and they're going to finish you know six seven eight nine wins um i think pittsburgh is one of those teams i think they have a, a very winnable schedule down the stretch i think mason rudolph is 
good enough to get them to 500, and that's going to push them out of the top 10. Minka Fitzpatrick has been a great addition for them as well on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, some other teams, like maybe the Bears get it together. We'll get into them a little bit later. But there's just like the top four teams that are drafting all the way to the top. You're looking, you know, the Bengals, the Redskins, the Dolphins. These teams just look bad. And the Dolphins are at least playing with some heart, but the rest of the team just seem like they're ready to lay down and die some weeks. And it's, it's not good. It's going to be fascinating to see how it all turns out in the end. And Matt, what was your big takeaway from week nine? So my big takeaway, the home teams are winning some football games this weekend. So up until this point, the, the road teams seem to win. They did win at, at, at a much higher rate than ever happened in NFL history uh, through the first eight weeks. Well, week nine comes... And only the Thursday night and the Monday night game saw the road team win. On Sunday, every single game slated from from the London game, which I guess was technically a home game for the Texans, and then all the way into you know Sunday night, the home teams won. And that's not something we've seen. Home field advantage finally kind of came to a head, and I think we're starting to see that a little bit as the weather changes. Some of these teams, you know, I was up at the Buffalo game. I was part of Bill's Mafia. It was 40 degrees. It was windy. It was cold. And I think that's the first time we're starting to see cold weather cities really get the weather that they give their team the advantage when they're playing at home. Oh, that is a good point. But uh, Warren Sharp, a noted uh, NFL numbers analyst, uh, I believe early in the season, or before the season even, wrote an article saying that 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 the home field advantage is not what it used to be in the NFL. So that could be a reason why we saw historical success for the road teams uh, in the first uh, eight weeks of the season. And now we move on to our favorite game. It's called Truth or Exaggeration. You know how it goes. And you mentioned Mika Fitzpatrick. And ever since he has been traded to the Steelers in seven-plus games with Pittsburgh, he's registered 36 tackles. Four interceptions, which is tied for second most in the NFL, five pass breakups, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, and last week, one pick six from 96 yards out that proved to be the difference in that hard-fought win for the Steelers over the Indianapolis Colts. So, truth or exaggeration, Mika Fitzpatrick is a serious contender for Defensive Player of the Year honors. I'm going to say exaggeration. I know I said the Steelers are going to win some games going down the stretch, but I think the defensive player of the year generally goes to a team that's going to be in the playoffs. It's going to go to a player that is leading their defense to win football games. Minka Fitzpatrick's been playing phenomenally since he's been traded. Uh, you know, incredible player. I, I, I can't believe that the Dolphins were ready to move on from him. They didn't fit the scheme, whatever they wanted to say. They wanted the draft picks. They want to reload and start from scratch. Minka Fitzpatrick, Heck of a player. I don't think he's going to be a serious contender unless he keeps up this torrid pace. If he keeps this up and he ends with 8, 9, 10 interceptions, a couple touchdowns, more turnovers, then we're talking. But I think the defensive player of the year generally comes from a guy that's that's leading his team in the playoffs. Yes, and that could very well be Nick Bosa, who could share defensive player of the year and defensive rookie of the year honors, dare I say, this year. <laughs> It would be really cool to see, you know, no one's seen it since Lawrence Taylor did it for the Giants. So, you know, I think it'd be kind of, I think it'd be kind of slick to see. I, I definitely agree. And earlier today, Jaguars head coach Doug Marone announced that Nick Foles will indeed resume the starting quarterback duties when the Jaguars return from their bye next week. But after the season, the Jaguars should trade either Nick Foles or Gardner Minshew. Truth or exaggeration? absolute truth i think when you're sitting on two quarterbacks like they are right now they kind of know what they have in Minshew. Minshew showed you know a little Minshew magic 
little mustache magic. It's a lot of fun to watch him play. Nick Foles getting paid way too much money right now to sit him. Uh, I, I think they saw what they have with Minshew. I think they really have to sit down and make a decision, just, especially depending on how Foles plays down the stretch. If he plays really well, you got to think about moving Foles and just letting letting Minshew take over and kind of reload. Jaguars are not quite there. They're not one player away. They could grab some draft picks from a quarterback needy team, of which there are plenty. They could flip Nick Foles for a pretty penny. And I think that uh, if he plays well down the stretch, I think you have to seriously consider trading Nick Foles and letting Minshew take over next year and just riding the mustache. Oh, I totally agree. Even though uh, Gardner Minshew uh, is going back to the bench for now, I think he's shown enough that he deserves a longer look as a potential um, face of the franchise and franchise quarterback. 100 percent 100 percent i know there's a lot of this rookies come in and they play well and then you see them in their sophomore year they don't play as well i think Minshew took a lot of lumps this year and, and you know he led them on some game-winning drives he had some poor games things you expect to see out of a rookie but you know he i think he showed that he can lead that team and and the team played hard for him and they can't say that for every quarterback in the league you most definitely cannot and speaking of quarterbacks Cam Newton went on injured reserve today, as was expected, given the problem he's had recovering from that Lisfranc injury. But that means that Cam Newton has played his final snap as a Carolina Panther. Truth or exaggeration? It pains me to say, but I'm going to say truth. I think they move on from him this offseason. We've seen two, three years in a row now where Cam has been hurt. And a lot of that is it comes from his play style. You know, he comes in a league. He's a, he's a linebacker-sized quarterback. They did a lot of zone reads with him. They let him run the ball a lot, and he ran through a lot of people. He's getting up there in age. You can't continually take these hits and expect your body to just bounce back. And I think his body is fighting back with him right now. Uh, I think Carolina moves on. I think they're ready to roll with Kyle Allen. He's played pretty well down the stretch. You know, he started his first was it six games without an interception. That's phenomenal. That's great. That's what you want to see. I, I think they move forward with Kyle Allen. I think they trade Cam Newton in much of the same same, same reason that the, the Jaguars do. Is you, There's plenty of quarterback needy teams out there. Cam Newton still has name recognition. He's a former MVP. I think they can get a lot for him, and I think they do move on from him. Absolutely, and one of the cardinal rules of team building in the NFL is when you have a surplus at quarterback, trade one of them for more assets. And uh, the Panthers and Jaguars seem to be in excellent position to do so this offseason. And we stay on the quarterback train with the Chicago Bears, who for the remainder of the season must roll the dice and risk whatever injury risk there is and use Mitchell Trubisky the same way the Ravens used Lamar Jackson late last season as a run-first quarterback. Truth or exaggeration? I got to say it's a little bit of exaggeration because Trubisky, he's he's a decent athlete. He's a pretty good athlete. He's not Lamar Jackson. And I know he's got some wheels to him, and I know he's he's got some decent size to him. I Look, I don't think the Bears are going to win with Trubisky no matter how you use him. But the last thing I think you do is just send him out there with reckless abandon and let him get destroyed by linebackers. That is a very fair point. And speaking of Lamar Jackson, three years from now, he will be regarded as the best quarterback from the 2018 draft class. Truth or exaggeration? I think it's an absolute truth. I mean, you look at the rest of the 2018 draft class, no one's doing anything special. Uh, Sam Darnold seeing ghosts, and, you know, they can complain about that 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 clip being played all they want, but it was played. It's out there. We've heard it now. Uh, Baker Mayfield seems to be imploding under his own pressure. He's He's been in more TV commercials than he's thrown touchdown passes this year. 
Um, you know, Josh Allen, he looks all right, but he hasn't taken the next step. And I don't know if Buffalo is the place for him to flourish with a defensive head coach. I think he needs not a changing of the head coach, but I think they need a quarterback guru to come in and really work with him like a North Turner type when he went in to work with, with Cam Newton. Um, and then, you know, Josh Rosen in quarterback hell for the last two years. He goes from the Cardinals with no offensive line to the Miami Dolphins with less of an offensive line. And he's just not given the chance to succeed. I think three years down the road, it's not even a question. It's going to be Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback from the 2018 class. And if that happens, as you believe, Matt Wallman will be proven correct again. His quarterback evaluations have been spot on for the most part these past several years. He he just believed Patrick Mahomes would be a monster, which he has been. He was very high on Lamar Jackson. He had Lamar Jackson behind only Josh Rosen in his rankings for the 2018 quarterback class that he came on the show and explained why. And uh, he thought Gardner Minshew was one of the three or five best quarterbacks in this year's class. So Matt Waldman is a guy who knows quarterbacks. Looking forward to having our friend Matt back on the program as we head deeper into draft season. And back to our game for now, though. The Niners and Saints are starting to separate themselves from the rest of the pack in the battle for the NFC. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, absolute truth. I think the 49ers and, and Saints are 1-1A. One and one A. I think you can put either team in either spot. Uh, the Saints, you know, they, they, they rolled when, when Drew Brees went out. Teddy Two Gloves comes in, wins a bunch of football games for them. They have a very legitimate defense. Uh, 49ers, also a very legitimate defense. I think their defense is a little bit better than the Saints. You know, I mean, we were talking about this last week. The, the 49ers defense is a little bit better than the Saints, but the Saints offense has more potency than the Niners offense does. So I think those teams are on a collision course to meet. Uh, you know, they meet in like three weeks. Uh, it's, it's just a couple weeks away. We're going to see them play each other. I think it's going to be a great game. It's in New Orleans. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, but you look at some of the other teams. The Cowboys can't seem to get it together in the East. The you know the Eagles win they lose the, the, the secondary is a mess the wide receivers aren't making plays I, I thought the the Packers got exposed I think if you can put pressure on Aaron Rodgers that team falls apart I don't think they made the necessary moves they wanted to on defense I was really high on some of the moves they made in defense and they just haven't panned out you know you know the way they wanted it seemed like the Chargers were ready to just kind of give up and die on the season they go th- they go through and just smack the Packers in the mouth and then the entirety of the NFC North goes down losing football games. I really do believe that it is the Saints and the 49ers, 1-1-A, however you want to put them. And last but not least, regardless of what happens the rest of the season, Vic Fangio has made a convincing case that the Broncos must ride with him for at least two more seasons as they move forward with their rebuild. Truth or exaggeration? I think you always have to give rookie coaches a chance, especially when they draft a rookie quarterback. You know, they took Drew Locke this year. He hasn't seen the field yet. He's been hurt. But they made the right decision in shelving Flacco uh, with, with with a neck injury, without a neck injury, whatever it is, they shelved him. They're ready to move forward. I think you got to give Fangio the time to do it. These, 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 these teams that just move on from a guy when they're trying to do almost a complete rebuild – and they move on from him in one year. Doesn't give them the chance to get their players in position. Uh, if if you really want to look at it, if the 49ers had moved on from Kyle Shanahan after he started, you know, 0 and 10, where would they be right now? You know, you got to give these coaches time to flourish and time to get their ducks in a row, get their guys in there, establish what they want to do, change the culture however they need to change it, and 
and let him win. Look, I'm a Fangio guy. I've always been a Fangio guy. It took way too long to give him head coaching opportunities, so I cannot in good conscience say they should move on from him just because they're not winning this year. Oh, that's my point. You have to give him at least two more years, especially the Broncos. They're, this is Fangio is their third out coach in four years. What they need more than ever right now is continuity, and that means you have to give Fangio a long leash and Despite the record not having shown it this year, that speaks more to the state of the roster more than Fangio. Fangio has been making this depleted Broncos defense minus Bradley Chubb overachieve this year, man. Uh-huh. And, and I think that is a very strong case. Screaming at John Elway's face that this is your guy. He is part of the solution. Give him a longer leash. Absolutely. Absolutely. Elway needs to kind of... Kind of take a step back and let Fangio do his thing and let him take over that locker room and let him turn them into a hard-nosed football team. They have some of the pieces in place already. They just need to give him time to do his thing. Absolutely. And like I said, it might not show on the record, but there have been some encouraging signs so far that Fangio definitely knows what he's doing and he has earned the benefit of the doubt and John Elway must give it to him. And now we go to our game of the week. Your San Francisco 49ers, the lone undefeated team left in the National Football League on Monday Night Football play host to Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. And yes, Virginia, the 49ers are for real. And any of you out there who are still doubting them, doubt them at your own peril. But this week they face arguably their biggest test of the season with Russell Wilson and that uh, Seahawks team coming to town. And the 49ers wanted defense. They suffered a major loss last week as linebacker Quan Alexander suffered a season-ending torn pectoral in their Thursday night victory over the Arizona Cardinals. How will the Niners compensate for his absence, specifically in this game going against that dangerous Seahawks offense? I don't think it's going to be super difficult to replace the play of Quan Alexander. He has been playing at a high level. He's been a great coverage linebacker. I think Fred Warner can Fred Warner can slide over and be that guy as a coverage linebacker. And you can have a rookie like Dre Greenlaw or or Al, Al Aziz Al Shair step in. They just brought up Elijah Lee, who played a lot last year. They brought him up from the practice squad. I think they have the bodies to replace Quan Alexander's play. The question is, can they replace? Quan Alexander's like heartbeat of that defense. Um, there was a there was a very specific play uh, in, in the Panthers game where the Panthers receiver dropped a pass when the score was already way out of hand. It's third down, and he told Quan Alexander very clearly screamed. It was picked up on the broadcast. Get your sorry butt off the field, and it was just this 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 big momentum. Oh, you knew the defense was feeling it. He's been a leader in the locker room for those guys. Now I think it's up to guys like Richard Sherman, like DeForest Buckner, like Eric Armstead, just be these guys that step up and take that leadership role. I mean, we obviously know Sherman is that guy, but we need some of the other guys to to, to step up and be be that leader that Quan Alexander was. Oh, that is a very, very good point. Thank you very much for sharing it with us, Matt. And uh, Russell Wilson, he's obviously having an MVP caliber season. And a big reason why is he arguably has his most explosive wide receiver duo to date in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And that explosive duo just might have become an explosive trio as the Seahawks last week claimed Josh Gordon off waivers from the Patriots. How much more dangerous does Josh Gordon make the Seattle aerial attack? Oh, immensely, immensely more dangerous. Uh, You're talking, you've got 
DK Metcalf, who is an athletic freak, right? The guy, the, the picture of him pre-combine when he's working out and he doesn't have a shirt on and he looks like he's built like a defensive end. And you go see him run and you see how fast he is. It, it, it has shown up this year as well. You know, he's had a little bit issue with staying healthy. Uh, but when he is healthy, he's a very impactful player. Tyler Lockett, steady, solid number one guy. Exactly the guy you want. He's developed very well. You know, his rookie year, he was used almost entirely on special teams. And then Brian is kind of a gadget player for him. He's really developed into a number one wide receiver in the absence of Doug Baldwin when he retired this offseason, uh, which I thought was going to be a huge blow to their offense. And, and and Lockett's development has really stifled how bad that could have been. Look, Josh Gordon, I'm a huge Josh Gordon guy. Um, yeah, you can say what you want about his off-field problems. He's an incredible athlete that is just so good at the wide receiver position. And, man, I'll tell you what. I wanted the 49ers to go grab him. Once I saw they were 31 in the waivers, I knew it wasn't going to happen. But Seattle's the only team to put a claim in on him. And, you know, you can say what you want about Pete Carroll. I'm not a huge Pete Carroll guy. If he can bring him in and get him, get his head straight and just bring him in, have him be part of the family, I think he can be a big impact for for Seattle, especially with uh, Disley going down. They're missing that tight end weapon. If you can just spread him out three wide and let Russell Wilson do his thing, that's a dangerous group of wide receivers to pair with Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. And uh, now let's go to the X's and O's of this game. And what potential game-deciding matchup should we have our eyes on on Monday night? The number one matchup is the 49ers defensive line versus the Seahawks offensive line. Can Russell Wilson stay up and stay clean? Because last year, he could not. DeForest Buckner was a game wrecker in both games last year. And you got to think, he's one of the only guys doing it last year. They've now added Nick Bosa. They've added D Ford. They got guys coming from the edge. If they can keep Russell Wilson contained and force him to step up into the pocket, into the waiting arms of DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, that's going to be the deciding factor. Can the 49ers get after Russell Wilson and be successful with it? Keep him contained, keep him in the pocket, and don't let him do any of these crazy plays where he just gets, you know, he just he just improvises and, and everything goes sideways. You can't cover guys for eight seconds when Russell Wilson starts scrambling around. So the 49ers really need to keep him in the pocket and 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 win their matchup against the offensive line. Yes, and it's going to be very difficult for the Seahawks' offensive line, uh, given the fact that they lost uh, Justin Britt for the season. And on that interior, mm-hmm. there's uh, some notable weaknesses that uh, DeForest Buckner can easily exploit. Yeah, and, and like I said, last year he was a game wrecker. He had five sacks in two games. Uh, he had 12 on the year, and five of them came against Russell Wilson. That's not something you see very often against Russell Wilson. You know, he's usually coated in olive oil out there, and guys just slip. He slips right through guys' arms. Uh, Buckner had a monster year against him last year. I expect Buckner to pick up right where he left off and kind of kind of have his big game. He hasn't had one yet. You know, we've had some big Bosa games. We've had a big Eric Armstead game. I think it's going to be a big Buckner game. Oh, very good point. And I also have an underrated matchup that could be a way the Seahawks counteract the, their um, uh, deficiencies going against that lethal 49ers front four. And that is uh, in the passing game. Without Quan Alexander, uh, yes, you still got Fred Warner, but uh, can his replacement uh, do as good a job in coverage as he did against? 
Chris Carson, and even Rashad Penny. Because uh, uh, what a mistake Rashad Penny was as a first-round pick, for crying out loud, given mm-hmm. how amazing Chris Carson is. But where Rashad Penny does come in value-wise is as a pass-catching back out of the backfield. And I definitely see the Seahawks looking t- at quick passes to their running backs out of the backfield against whoever uh, their the non-Fred Warner linebacker is on the field for the 49ers with those quick short passes to try to neutralize the 49ers pass rush. So Chris Carson and Rashad Penny against those Niners linebackers at the passing game, I think is an underrated matchup to look out for. Absolutely. I mean, we saw Arizona on the Thursday night game kind of just screen their way down the field. They let the 49ers aggressiveness and speed kind of work against them by letting them get up field and then dumping the ball over the top of them, get them a blocker out in front and let them get eight, nine yards at a time. Look, you don't need to move the ball in, in giant chunks to win football games. If you can control the clock and move the chains, you're going to do just fine. I, I agree. I think that's one matchup that we're going to see. I, Russell Wilson, super smart, incredibly smart quarterback. He's, 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 you know, he's a top three quarterback in the league right now. I don't think there's any question. He oh, might yeah. be top one the way he's playing. Oh, top two at least. Yeah. You know, you're talking, these guys playing, and he's having an incredible year. I expect him to know what to do when the 49ers start to pin their ears back and get after him. I don't expect them to come in and just dominate with eight, nine, ten sacks. I don't expect a game like that. Oh, neither do I. As a matter of fact, I think this game could be pretty high scoring, but given the way Jimmy Garoppolo played last week and uh, the week before since Emmanuel Sanders came aboard, uh, shouldn't that give uh, 49ers fans a lot of confidence that the 49ers offense can go toe-to-toe with Russell Wilson if this indeed turns into a shootout? Absolutely it can. Um, You know, there's a lot of people that that, that bemoan the trade for Emmanuel Sanders, and they said, ah, they have Dante Pettis, they got Debo Samuel. It was fair for both teams, and I'm a Broncos fan. Pettis and Samuel haven't stepped up. Emmanuel is the guy they needed. You're preaching to the choir on that one, man, because that's exactly how I feel, too. Emmanuel Sanders is immensely talented. He's he's the best wide receiver the 49ers have had since Anquan Bolden and Michael Crabtree when they were there together. Look, it, this this has shades of Anquan Bolden written all over it again. Look, you get a guy in the twilight of his career. He can come in. He can be that steady veteran presence. He's not going to burn these guys down the field. What he is going to do is he knows how to exploit zones. He knows how to beat man coverage. He knows how to get open catch the ball, get his feet inbounds, and just be a difference maker when it counts. The 49ers had a massive third down that was converted by Emmanuel Sanders because he knew exactly where to sit and catch the ball on that final drive so they could run out the clock. Huge Emmanuel Sanders guy. The way the offense is cooking with him, that's a big deal. The biggest thing for this 49ers offense, George Kittle didn't practice today. If he is not a go come Monday – that is a huge blow to the offense. They might be getting Staley back. They might be getting McGlinchey back. They might be getting Kyle Juszczyk back. All of those would pale in comparison to losing George Kittle. The impact he has on the offense, not just in the stat sheet, not just catching passes, but as a blocker and as a decoy and as someone that the defense has to key in on every play, his loss would be crazy big for this offense. Oh, it most certainly would, and thank you so much for bringing that to our attention, Matt. And uh, I know it's early, but who do you have winning this Monday night battle for the NFC West? I've been saying this all year. Since since, since the offseason, I've been saying it. The 49ers and the Seahawks split this year, and they split the home-and-home. Home. 49ers at home, I have them winning. If this game was in Seattle, I'd have Seattle winning. Just the way this matchup is, they they match up very well against each other. And I think it's just Levi Stadium finally feels like home field advantage for the 49ers. 
since they moved in, the team had been not good. It had been quiet. It had been half empty. I think it's finally getting to the point where it's a home field advantage. It's a Monday night. I think that place is going to be rocking. I've got the 49ers taking this one only because they're at home. Well, that is a good point. I have the 49ers too, but it's going to be very, very close. I think that uh, both offenses, even the Niners without George Kittle, knowing how much the Seahawks defense struggled against Jameis Winston, out of all people, for crying out loud last week, mm-hmm. uh, I think this game's going to be pretty high scoring. So it could easily come down to which defense makes more of the big plays. I trust the 49ers defense to make more of the big plays, far more than I trust the Seahawks defense to do so. And I think the 49ers end up squeaking out a 31-27 to victory over the Seattle Seahawks. And now we play our this or that game. And in this game, we uh, I give you a question with two options, and you ch- choose one of the options and explain why you chose that option. Who would you give the NFL MVP to if the season ended today? Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson? It's Russell Wilson, and I don't think it's very close, and I just think it's the way the team is 100% relying on him to win football games. Lamar Jackson, very good quarterback. I think the Ravens team around him is better than the Seahawks team is around Russell Wilson. You take Lamar Jackson off the Ravens, they're still a 500 football team. You take Russell Wilson off the Seahawks, they might not have a win all year. Oh, that is a very, very good point and very good reasoning there, Matt. And I agree, Russell Wilson would probably be my MVP too because that Ravens roster, even though their defense has gotten a little bit uh, weaker uh, compared to the past couple years, they're still a much better overall roster than the Seahawks currently have. And who would you name NFL Assistant Coach of the Year of the season ended today? Robert Sala, defensive coordinator for your San Francisco 49ers, or Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman? You're really painting me in a corner here because you're gonna you're making me choose between my guy or the offensive coordinator that didn't win a Super Bowl against the Ravens and is now coaching for him. <laughs> um, you know, I gotta say, man, it pains me to say. I gotta say, Greg Roman. I, I I think we need to see more from him down the stretch. As it stands right now, like I said, like I said in the beginning of the show, he's had this kind of quarterback before. He did this with Colin Kaepernick. He, he's molded his game plan to Lamar Jackson's strengths. Uh, Salah has done a great job this year. I, I think he's he's done a he's done a very good job of deploying his guys. I still think he makes really bad calls sometimes. Uh, there's just some key plays where he decides to go, you know, single high man when they don't need to, and, and the defense gets burned. Greg Roman, look, he out-schemed Bill Belichick, and no coach has done that so far this year. So I almost for that reason alone, Greg Roman's taking it for me. Oh, that is a very good point. Plus, a uh, friend of the pod and a mutual friend of ours, Benjamin Albright, he tweeted out that uh, most of the people inside the 49ers building attribute the defense uh, – defense's growth this year to defensive line coach uh, Chris Kucherich. So if uh, Robert Sala gets gets scooped up for a head coaching job, as he very well might, uh, the 49ers defense likely won't skip a beat with uh, Chris Kucherich, uh, the new D-line coach currently, uh, likely be promoted to defensive coordinator if uh, Robert Sala does indeed uh, skip town for a head coaching gig. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, the, the D-line coach for the Niners has been very good. Um, coach Eric has been fantastic. Um, I don't think uh, the addition of Woods, the uh, the the secondary coach that came over from Denver uh, last year, he came over to the 49ers this year. I think Salah has had some really good coaches underneath him have stepped up, and I think we've seen a talent level for that 49ers defense go you know just through the roof. The the additions through free agency, the additions through trade, the addition through the draft. I really think they shored up all their weak spots. Salah, 
good coach. I don't think he's ready for the head coaching gig yet. Oh, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether the NFL agrees with you there. And uh, there was a report in The Athletic yesterday by Vincent Bonsignore, um, who is who covers the Rams, and he r- reported that the NFL is likely to be sympathetic to the Chargers if they decide to move out of L.A. Uh, in the future. So which city will be a better market for the Chargers should they decide to move again? London or St. Louis? Is San Diego an option? Unfortunately, no. no, no. Given the, 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 the city won't build them a stadium. It's sadly yeah. a lost cause. Yeah, no, I was living in San Diego when that when that whole thing was going down. Um, not great on either side. Uh, I, look, whatever choice the, the, the Spani, as I like to call the owners of the, <laughs> totally, yeah. of the Chargers, the Spani, whatever choice they make and they decide to move this team to from L.A. will be the wrong one. So if they choose London, St. Louis is the better option. If they choose St. Louis, London would be the better option. That's my answer. The opposite of whatever the span I choose. Oh, very, very good point. And I saw you tweet today that you think that the span I are like the West Coast version of the Snyder. Yes, absolutely. They are West Coast Dan Snyder. I stand by that statement, and I will fight anyone about it. And last but not least, whose 2019 draft class looks more impressive so far? The Jaguars class or the Raiders class? You know, that's really a big toss-up. Uh, Gardner Minshew being a huge step for for the Jaguars and being able to step in for Nick Foles. But i got to give it to the Raiders, and only because, you know, they're playing a lot better than anyone thought they were going to, and they've really been relying on Josh Jacobs, and Josh Jacobs has been that guy for them. You know, he's that Gruden-style runner. He's the hard runner. You know, he had a touchdown on Sunday where he jumped from the four-and-a-half-yard line and jumped over two players to get in. It's an incredible play. I think, you know, if we're looking at at the most impactful rookie in, I think it's Josh Jacobs. So I got to give the Raiders a little bit of a a boost on this one. They haven't hit on on every other one either. You know, it's been 50-50 for both teams really for me. Uh, But Josh Jacobs has just been the driving force for the Raiders. and He is winning them football games. Oh, he most certainly is. He is the uh, centerpiece of that offense. No disrespect to Derek Carr, who's playing uh, arguably the best football of his career so far. But I think the biggest reason why is Derek Carr is a quarterback dependent on the nest he's in. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he can't carry a team. The team has to carry him. And it's due to the Raiders' investment in the offensive line and Josh Jacobs. They make that offense go and make Derek Carr's life infinitely easier. But another reason why I agree with you here with the Raiders class being the better of the two so far is keep in mind, uh, the Raiders had three first round picks and Jonathan Abram, one of their other uh, three picks of the first round out, uh, outside of Josh Jacobs, he uh, got lost for the season after opening night against Denver and uh, Cleveland Farrell uh, taking it four overall. He looks like an all our bust so far. Uh, uh, he's, I'm not crowning him a bust yet. It's going to take two more years, uh, for, for me to come to a conclusion on him. But the fact that they took him over a guy like Brian Burns continue, or Ed Oliver is mind boggling dare I say, but uh, may, another reason why I like that class, because outside of Josh Jacobs, the day three value that Mayock walked away with, with Hunter Renfro and, and Foster Moreau and Max Crosby, a little known defensive end from Eastern Michigan, who is arguably the team's best pass rusher right now for crying out loud. It is those day three uh, value picks that are turning out to be gems. And if you hit on day three, you will have a playoff roster for, for many years. And Mike Mayock uh, has appeared to have done exactly that. Yeah, you can't you can't 
you can't say how much value those day three picks that that, that are home runs really matter to a team because you're getting those guys for dirt cheap. You know, these guys are playing for pennies on the dollar, basically. And if you're getting production out of them, and it can be consistent production. That's that's what the draft is all about. That's why teams load up with 10, 12 picks so they can just constantly take swings. And, and you know, once you get to day three, you're kind of swinging for the fences. You know, you're, you're, you're going out and you're picking the guy that you think is going to be the best in your system. And he might not be the best football player. He might not be. You know, it might not be the biggest guy. He might not be the fastest guy. Or sometimes that's why you're swinging for him. He is the biggest and fastest. So let's go take an athlete and see if we can turn him into a football player. Mayock has gotten a lot of value in, in the late rounds. And, you know, for, for a team that looks like they were on the brink of just absolute collapse, the Raiders have been pretty impressive this year. Oh, they most certainly have. And it's going to be very interesting to watch them on Thursday night against the Los Angeles Chargers as we begin our game predictions. And uh, these two teams are likely playing for one of the wildcard playoff spots uh, in the wide-open AFC. Uh, This game is going to be very, very, very close, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I think Thursday Night Football always favors the offense. I I think the defense has a short time to rest, a short time to recover, and a short time to prepare for – you know, what seems to be division games on almost every Thursday. So th- these are big rivalry games. Uh, I have the Raiders winning this one, and I, it's because I'm going to say a sentence I never thought I'd say. I trust Derek Carr more than I trust Phillip Rivers. Mm. Why do you trust Derek Carr more than Rivers? Because I think you hit it on the head when you said he's he's reliant on his nest. I think his nest is very good right now, and I think he's, he's playing not mistake-free football, but he's playing clean enough football they're winning football games. I think they're going to ride Josh Jacobs, and they're they're going to d- depend on him to go. You know, Waller has been an, an enigma at tight end for them. He's been fantastic, and I think he just feeds Waller. They feed Jacobs, and they just they just keep it rolling, and and they take down the Chargers Thursday night. As hard as it was in previous weeks to trust the Chargers. I kind of trust them now after uh, beating Green Bay. Yes, uh, some people are going to say, oh, uh, they're going to overlook the Raiders. No, they won't. They know how good the Raiders have been playing this year. But I always expected the Chargers to be runner-up in this division, and I'm not going to change that pick right now. I think uh, the Chargers build off that momentum with that impressive defensive performance that they had against Green Bay by winning, by pressuring Aaron Rodgers and running the football. And uh, with Trent Brown uh, up in the air for this game, I think that's a golden opportunity for either Joey Bosa or Melvin Ingram to make Derek Carr's life miserable. And uh, it's going to be a very close game, but I have the Chargers beating the Raiders at their own game by running the ball and playing a good defense with a final score of 24-20 to Chargers. And Patrick Mahomes likely returns this weekend as the Chiefs travel to Music City to take on the Titans and that underrated defense. But that said... uh, that Titans defense got eaten alive by Christian McCaffrey last week, and uh, they also lost Malcolm Butler for the season. So I just uh, have to favor the Chiefs in this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Andy Reid's a top three play caller, and as long as he doesn't call any quarterback sneaks with Mahomes coming back from his knee, I think they're going to be fine. Uh, you know, I think against the Panthers, who have a very underrated defense as well, um, you know, I think we saw the return of Ryan Tannehill to what he is, which is a guy that has flashed just just bits of talent and, and bits of being that guy, but he just, man, he doesn't make good decisions all the time. And I, I think he kind of comes back down to earth again. 
So he had two solid starts when he took over for Mariota. Last week was kind of eh, not great. I think he kind of, again, comes back down to earth. Uh, Chris Jones also returning for the Chiefs is a huge deal. You know, pressure up the middle is, is what, what drives defenses. And, and with Mahomes coming back, I think they have some some fun stuff planned for the Titans. And I think we're going to see some some reverses, some stuff, get the ball out of Mahomes' hands fast and let the athletes on, on Kansas City's offense take over. I agree. I have the Chiefs winning this game 31-20. to 20. And your other favorite team, the Buffalo Bills, uh, they might face a potential trap game uh, traveling to Cleveland to take on a Browns team that is – the biggest disappointment of the year so far, in my opinion, but at the same time, still very, very talented, and uh, they can't fall asleep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, the Browns have been a massive disappointment. Like I said, you know, Baker Mayfield seems like he's crumbling under all the expectations. Uh, uh, the Bills go on the road here, and you know they've been they've been a very good team on the road this year. So they've they're actually their two losses come at home. I think the Bills come in and win. I think they just keep that defense and they just keep throttling. Baker Mayfield. I don't think the offensive line is good enough to keep Baker Mayfield clean. Uh, defensive, the defensive line for the Bills is very strong. They know when to blitz. They know how to blitz. Sean McDermott, being a defensive coach, I think he just kind of keeps the foot on Cleveland's throat. And and, and the Bills, they're not going to go out and light it up. The Bills are never going to be a team that goes out and scores sixty points. I, I think that you know the Bills score in the twenties and they just hold the Browns underneath it, and, and that's how they win. I agree. I just do not trust Freddie Kitchens. I do not trust Fr- Freddie Kitchens. And you could blame Baker Mayfield's poor play all you want, but I think the Browns organization did him no favors by not only hiring Freddie Kitchens, but yeah, Odell Beckham Jr. is a special talent, but trading away your best offensive lineman to get him and making mm-hmm. the offensive line weaker, that is proving to be a, a, a decision uh, that is very fair to question uh, John Dorsey for having made, at least so far. Yeah, football's one in the trenches. There, there's no question. The teams with the best offensive line and the best defensive lines generally do very well. You, know, you don't see a whole lot of teams where they can just hide behind a bad offensive line. But you don't trade, like you said, you don't trade your best offensive lineman for a skill position player. I know Odell Beckham is a special player, but when you got a coach that thinks that six targets a game is enough for Odell Beckham, you're not. It, why even bother? Why bother trading for a guy at that level if you're not going to force feed him the ball? That's the whole point of having OBJ is get him the ball soon, often, and just repetitively. And they're not doing it. Uh, of course they're not. And in large part, it's because that their offensive line is bad. But also, Freddie Kitchens is overset. And Freddie Kitchens, he should have been fired on Monday uh, for losing to a bottom 10 roster like the Broncos with arguably a top 10 roster that you have in Cleveland. No way they should be underachieving this much. No friggin' way this falls on Freddie Kitchens' shoulders. And uh, the Buffalo Bills approve it once again. They win this game 20-10, uh, to 10, but the 10 coming on a cheap uh, last-minute garbage time touchdown. The uh, Bills are going to dominate, in my opinion. And the Baltimore Ravens, fresh off their the biggest statement victory of the year, obviously, against the Patriots. They travel to Cincinnati to take on the lone winless team left in the NFL this season, the Cincinnati Bagels. And I have a feeling that they're not going to get off to the fast start that they got off against New England. But at the end of the day, the Ravens have far too much more talent and have the better coach, and I think they end up winning this game by a score of uh, 24 to 13. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question that the Ravens are going to go in and win. Look, I said before the year, and I caught a lot of flack for this, I said the Bengals were the least talented roster in You're football. You're right. 
from top to bottom. I said that, and people came at me, and they started screaming at me about how good their players were. Look, the Bengals were not a talented roster coming into the year, and I think it's starting to prove that that's, that's the case. They are going through a complete rebuild. They sat Andy Dalton. They benched him on his birthday on the bye week, didn't explore a trade option for him, which I thought was just ludicrous. Why not unload Andy Dalton to one of these teams? Unload him to the Bears. Unload him to the Steelers. Let him, you know exactly what he is. Why not get something for him if you're not going to move forward with him in the plans? He's probably not going to be on the team next year. That was a silly decision. They didn't move A.J. Green. Look, the Bengals are a poorly run franchise, and I think it's showing up in the field. The Ravens, they are going to eat this rookie quarterback, Finley, alive. Oh, yeah. I feel bad for him. They are going to crush him. I oh, think this is a blowout. Especially with the Bengals arguably having an even worse offensive line than the Browns, for crying out loud. Yeah, somehow somehow they do have a worse offensive line. It's, it's incredible. Look, I think the Ravens are going to come in, and they're going to continue to do what they do. John Harbaugh knows how to win football games. I don't think this is a trap game. I don't think this is a letdown game. The Ravens go into Cincinnati and win big. And uh, the Detroit Lions, who have been a disappointment given how well they've been playing this year, although their record doesn't show it, travel to Soldier Field to take on the Bears, who have been one of the league's biggest disappointments this year. I think this is going to be an ugly, low-scoring game, but at the end of the day, I cannot trust Mitchell Trubisky. Matthew Stafford and the Lions pull out an ugly but hard-fought, let's say, 19-13 victory. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that one as well. Look, the Lions... I think their wide receivers are good. I think Matt Stafford is playing a really good. I think he's playing really well this year. I, don't, I think it's flying under the radar because the Lions aren't doing so hot. But like you said, I don't trust Mitchell Trubisky as far as I can throw him. I'm not a big guy. I can't throw him very far. So I'm not big on Mr. Trubisky at all. I wasn't when he was drafted. I'm not now. I think the Bears are going down with him. And I think Nagy is just... I think he's out of his element. I think he he rode that defense last year. I think he was he was... You know, Fangio had that had them playing at such a high level that Nagy was just kind of he's had to manage the game. You know, he had to manage Trubisky, he had to manage the game. Well, all of a sudden the defense isn't playing at an elite level and the offense is having to win games and they're not capable of doing it. They, They don't feed the right players at the right time. They have talented skill position players, but the quarterback can't get them the ball. Look, I think the Lions go in and win again. I, I think they go into Soldier Field. They get a win that I that's where I'm at. Yes, and the Bears' only hope, feed David Montgomery the ball. What are you waiting for? Feed him the ball way more than you're doing right now. It just does not make sense because David Montgomery, I honestly still feel he's a special talent, and he showed it against the Chargers. You're going to have to ride him the rest of the way, not Trubisky, in order for the Bears to have any hope of having a puncher's chance at contending for one of those last NFC playoff spots. Uh, The toilet bowl in East Rutherford, New Jersey, as the New York Giants... And their struggling rookie quarterback, Daniel Jones, take on the dumpster fire that is the New York Jets. Oh, my God. What a complete dumpster fire that organization is. If you thought the Browns did Baker Mayfield wrong, the Jets did Sam Darnold just as wrong by hiring Adam Gase. Are you kidding me? And uh, and Greg Williams as that defensive coordinator. What the hell? He, he's proven to be a, a washed-up defensive coordinator over the past several years. Oh, my God. And the Jets are one of the most poorly run organizations in football, just like the Bengals are, and it's showing on the field. Hold your nose for this one. I think I'm actually going to pick the Jets because I just believe in Darnold long-term, but I I just don't know who's going to win this game. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be low scoring. Give me the Jets 17-16. Uh, to 16. 
Yeah, look, I read a crazy stat today. Adam Gase's career record is 24 and 32 as a head coach. He has 24 wins. He has 25 losses by double digits. That's just inc- that's an incredible stat to me. So he's at, out of his 32 career losses, 25 have been double digits or more. Look, I don't trust the Jets either. Look, the Giants have the best football player on the field on Sunday, and that's Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley can carry a team like the Giants for a win against the Jets. Uh, Jets technically the home team, so you know the the home they'll have the season ticket holders there for the game. Look, the 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 Giants win. It, this is you're like toilet bowl, man. This is tough. The Giants win. Daniel Jones does just enough to squeak by. I think Sterling Shepard's finally coming back for him. A really good Sterling Shepard. Uh, I think he comes back this week finally. Saquon Barkley, he carries him. Giants win. Let's just take the same score you took. Giants win 17-16. Yep, it's easily the ugliest game of the week. But this game could be even uglier, albeit only for one team. This is the biggest mismatch of the week. The Atlanta Falcons at 1-7. Dan Quinn is likely gone after the season, regardless of how the season ends. Traveling to New Orleans to take on the Saints. No question. New Orleans Saints, this is my lock of the week, 35-17. to Yeah, that's that's a lock. That's a lock. Dan Quinn might not survive this week. <laughs> Depending on how the defense plays, if Drew Brees comes out and he gets humming and he gets the offense going, they're coming off a bye week. Oh, the Saints are. They're playing at home. They're about to smack the Falcons. It's 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 not going to be pretty. Oh, I, I expect Drew Brees and Michael Thomas and Jared Cook and Alan Kamara, who I believe comes back this week, to just eat that Falcons defense alive this week. It's it's going to be no contest. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, who put up a rather uh, impressive fight against the 49ers last week, traveled to Tampa to take on the Buccaneers, who dropped another heartbreaker uh, in Seattle. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, they might not have the roster to be a playoff team now, but Bruce Arians has this team playing at a very competitive level, and I think they're due for a, re- a positive regression to the mean with a win this week over the Cardinals. Bucks 35, Cardinals 28. That actually sounds really fantastic because I was leaning the same way. And this is another one of those ones where if if the Bucks had to travel west to get to Arizona, I would take Arizona in the game. But because Arizona's traveling east, um, you know Arizona doesn't doesn't abide by – Daylight savings, like we just had this last weekend, so they're they're still two hours. But you know, I I, I still don't think that they get the win. Uh, we saw James Winston light up the Seattle defense. I think coming back home, I think they're going to get comfortable. They're finally force feeding the ball to Mike Evans. It's fantastic to see. He's such a good player. I'm glad he's not going to waste. Um, I think that they just continue to do that. Bruce Arians finally has a formula to win. I think James Winston lights up the Cardinals, outduels Kyler Murray. Bucks take this one. We're in agreement there. And the Miami Dolphins, fresh off their first win of the Brian Flores era, travel to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. And the Colts uh, are optimistic they have Jacoby Brissett back this week. But either way, uh, whether it's Brian Hoyer or Jacoby Brissett under center, I think the Colts come away with a hard-fought victory here. Yeah, look, like I said, the, the Dolphins are playing with heart. They're one of the few teams that have a they're having a bad year. They're actually playing hard every Sunday. And this is gonna be a lot closer than I think folks are are, are thinking. You know, they're coming in thinking the Colts are just gonna blow them out. I think the Dolphins keep it close. I do think the Colts win. Um, even if Brian Hoyer plays, if Brian Hoyer plays, look, I love Frank Reich as a coach. I think he's a very good football coach. I think he knows how to win football games. I think he knows how to scheme for his team. You know, he got kind of put in a pickle. Last week when Brissett goes down in the middle of the game. 
it's hard to make that adjustment. It's hard to do that. But Hoyer actually played pretty well for them. I like Brian Hoyer. I, I, don't, I don't like Brian Hoyer, but I like Brian Hoyer is his ability to beat the Dolphins this week when it comes to Frank Wright calling the plays. I agree. Uh, call it, uh, let's say, 27-20 Colts uh, over the Dolphins in a very competitive uh, game. And uh, the Dolphins, uh, another team that's had a – uh, a below average season that's played with hard every Sunday, my Denver Broncos put them in that exact same category. There's something about mm-hmm. these uh, first year defensive minded head coaches, uh, Vic Faggio and Brian Flores that are getting the absolute most out of the rosters uh, they were dealt. And uh, the Panthers uh, fresh off uh, that impressive victory over the Tennessee Titans traveled to green Bay to take on the Packers. I actually am taking the Panthers as my upset special this week. And here is why the Packers run defense has been suspect all year and the Chargers just gashed them. And now you have arguably one of the main contenders for league MVP and Christian McCaffrey coming to town. And uh, I just see Christian McCaffrey going absolutely ape in this game. How? See in my bowl predictions. The Carolina Panthers, I believe, win this game uh, 35-31. to 31. Man, I'm, I was just hoping that we were going to be opposite on one of these games. And I'm right there with you. I think the Panthers, like I said, they have an underrated defense. McCaffrey is playing at an MVP level in any other season that didn't involve Russell Wilson, didn't involve Lamar Jackson. He would be the front runner for it. He's he's playing out of his mind. I, I think the Panthers just they, they just force feed McCaffrey the ball. They win this game. I don't think the Packers defense is as good as most people think. I think they do enough on defense to get pressure on Aaron Rodgers, keep him uncomfortable. I know the Panthers are going on the road, but I think we're going to start to see some cracks in the veneer of the Green Bay Packers. I think they dropped their second straight. I had to sound my proverbial simpatic alert there because we're in agreement on the upset special of the week. And the Rams off a bye take on the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are playing very good football without Ben Roethlisberger. And the key to uh, them uh, maintaining their high level of play this year has been their defense. Man, man, what a defense they have. Uh, Yes, they lost to 5-2 for the year, which was a a bummer, but you still got T.J. Watt, who's turned into one of the top 10 edge rushers in in the NFL, and Bud Dupree, who is like, uh, uh, people wrote him off as a bust a couple years ago. He's now playing at a high level, too. And Cameron Hayward, man, how many defensive linemen can push Quentin Nelson back into their quarterback and and injure the quarterback in the process? How many? I I am willing to bet that we're not going to see that for the rest of Quentin Nelson's career. We're not. Cameron Hayward just... uh, Pull the feet against Quentin Nelson that nobody is able is going to be able to do. And now you go up against that pathetic Rams interior offensive line and and Todd Gurley not being the same player. Yes, he got Cooper Cup, but um, I just don't trust this Rams offense. They had a couple get well games against uh, the Falcons and Bagels. I I think they lose this game to the Steelers, uh, twenty three to uh, sixteen. You said you don't trust the Rams' offense. I trust the Rams' offense. I trust Sean McVay. I don't trust Jared Goff. And Jared Goff is going to be under pressure this game. And the Rams' offensive line has proven they can't keep him upright. If they can't keep him upright, they do not play well. And if their offense isn't clicking, the defense falls off. And they just can't keep that same kind of that same kind of energy. So, I'm, man, I'm right there with you again. I think the Steelers win this game. I think Mason Rudolph does just enough. Uh, even if James Conner doesn't come back for this game, Jalen Samuel stepped in very admirably for him last week. I think he's going to be a fantastic guy to play this week if you have him in fantasy, if James Conner is out. Look, Juju Smith-Schuster finally starting to catch his stride again. You're looking at the, the Steelers. I think they win. 
I really do. I think they win because they pressured Jared Goff. And if you get in Jared Goff's face, he just crumbles. He crumbles. He most certainly does. The book on Jared Goff was written by Vic Fangio and Bill Belichick last year, and the teams have run with it this year. And for the most part, uh, we have been proven right about Jared Goff. And a very intriguing matchup on Sunday Night Football as the Vikings, coming off that heartbreaking loss at Arrowhead, travel to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. I think this is going to be a very close game. Uh, decided in the fourth quarter. And uh, like you, uh, if this were in Minnesota, I'd pick the Vikings. But since it's in Dallas, I'm taking the Cowboys, uh, let's say 27-24 over the Vikings. I got the Vikings in this one. And I'm not a big Kirk Cousins guy. I hope you're right. I honestly hope you're right. (laughs) I'm not a big Kirk Cousins guy. I'm not. However, I think he's got some fight in him this year. And I think he hasn't had his statement game yet before he falls off. Because there's a time every year where he has a statement game and then he just he falls off a cliff. I think this is the statement game. I think this is the game where people watch him win this game and then start to question, is Kirk Cousins for real? And then he comes out next week and he lays an egg. He lays an egg the next week after that. So I, I think this is Kirk Cousins' statement, you like that win, before he just falls off a cliff. I hope you're right, but I hope you're wrong about uh, him falling off a cliff. I I, uh, I I love being proven wrong, and I want Kirk Cousins to prove me wrong even more so uh, this season. And now let's go to our bold predictions for this weekend. Matt, why don't you go first here? Oh, bold prediction. Um, I'm going to say that Kyler Murray and Jameis Winston combined for a nine touchdown passes this weekend. I think both, both pass defenses – for the Cardinals and the Bucks are suspect. I think both are playing pretty well right now. I'm going to say nine touchdown passes between the two of them. Oh, that is a nice bold prediction. And here's my prediction. Christian McCaffrey totals over not 200, not 250, not 275. He totals over 300 scrimmage yards in the Panthers' upset victory over the Packers at Lambeau. That is my bold prediction. And now let's go on to our challenge flags, the final segment of our program, and I'll go first here. Kirk Cousins, prove Matt right and prove Rex Ryan wrong. Silence the doubters and win a close game in the fourth quarter. And not only that, prove Matt wrong by going on and continuing to build off that game. So Kirk Cousins, silence the doubters once and for all. I'm throwing my challenge flag at the Browns and Jets. Fire your coaches after ugly losses this weekend. Fire Freddie Kitchens. Fire Adam Gase. Move on. Give these young quarterbacks a chance to succeed with real coaching. Fire those guys. I couldn't agree more, Matt. I have been calling for Adam Gase and Freddie Kitchens to be one and done for weeks now. I think now is the time for both of those organizations to pull the plug and give Sam Donald and Baker Mayfield a chance at success. And he is Matt Barr, ladies and gentlemen. He is the co-host of the Fourth and Gold podcast, a must-listen-to podcast for 49ers fans. And you can follow him on Twitter for NFL commentary at Matt Barr underscore. Matt, thank you very much for joining us once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week, not only to preview Week 11 of the 2019 
2019 NFL season, but to kick off our 2020 NFL draft coverage as well. So stay tuned, folks. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrutch.com. And remember, that's crutch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Matt. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Matt Barr, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.